You are about to listen to a podcast in the fourth series of Garage Conversations with Char. My lovely and talented daughter, Shelby, will continue to participate in the discussions as her schedule allows. Thank you so much for choosing to listen. I sincerely hope you will find the podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. So I am always thrilled as usual to uh, do this podcast. This is a podcast that I've talked about with Shelby for quite some time, but we've changed the guests and everything. And I decided to make it more like a family discussion because you know what, Um, just like other groups, families are not a monolith and we all have different opinions about things. And um, I think uh, uh, capitalism is one of those things that, you know, can, has a lot, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts on. So um, I thought it'd be great to do this, um, you know, especially since I have uh, my brother, my cousin, they have their own stock club. So you see that they, they take advantage of capitalism. (laughs) And um, I have, uh, I'm happy to have also uh, besides my brother Larry and my cousin Taisha, who have been on previous co- podcasts, my dad Lawrence Mason is going to be on, so I'm excited to have him on. And um, and you know Shelby has made some comments in different podcasts about this, so now she gets a chance to you know say what she'd like, and I think it's going to be very informative and engaging. And um, as I said, just like any other groups, you know, families aren't a monolith. We all have different thoughts and opinions about things, so. I thought this would be great to do. And I also welcome Shelby back because she hasn't been on a couple of podcasts with me. So welcome, Shelby. <laughs> Hello. I I am, was admittedly less excited uh, about this this topic, but I'm here. I have my, my water and my over it mug. So. Oh, that. that yeah. That's, <laughs> that, that's, I, and. and Listen, I, I told I told you this, I think the other day, mom, what I'm my goal here today um, is really it's like threefold. Um, I, I want to be very kind of almost cut and dry, um, focusing a lot on definitions and um, also throwing some numbers out there. Um, and my mom when I, when I said that, oh yeah, I have my notes. And she was like, what, you actually took notes? And I said, yeah, because this is actually something I care very deeply about. And I think that, um, I'm not, I'm like not here really to, you know, vilify any one of us, um, because my issue isn't really with, um, the general public. Um, but it's, I think there are a lot of words and ideologies that people don't have the the full scope of what they actually mean um, for a variety of different reasons that I can, that I will kind of go into. And um, I'll, I'll leave it there until, I, you know, we're all going to kind of go around yeah. and, and talk about our, um, do a little intro to, to our thoughts and, and everything. So um, yeah. I'll, I'll talk more when, when we get there. No, that's great. Thanks Shelby, because yes, I was very 
excited and surprised that she'll be prepared because, you know, she usually rolls out of bed into our podcast with whatever comes out of her mind. So that was really appreciative that she did do this. <laughs> and um, I'm sure she'll have some good thoughts. But I do want to give a chance to welcome my dad, Lawrence Mason. Dad, you want to say a little bit about yourself? Oh, yeah, thank you, Charlene. Yeah, I'm a, a 76-year-old retiree. I've been retired for the last 14 years. And, uh, you know, just, in, just enjoying life. Yes. And and I also enjoy my dad because he cooks for the family. So he's a, he's a, he's a very good chef. Um, somehow he took over also, cooking at some point. I don't know when. Mom which is cooking, but that was great. <laughs> that I I love that for for my mom that she just one day said I'm not doing it anymore, and so Papa was like, okay, I guess I I I have to do this now. But I'm adding to to that pop up because you're not just you you defined yourself as just a retiree, but I I you know want to be very clear that my grandfather is one of the most intelligent people um, that I know. Um, and an avid reader and, um, but again, one of the most well-spoken, um, and thoughtful, um, I, I would say academically minded, you know, person, um, that I know of and has been very, um, integral to, to my love for reading and books and, and learning. So. I'm also putting that out there, pop up, because I know you're very humble. But I think that that's an important to for for people to to really know and give you your props for. Yeah, that's an excellent show because uh, to have a love of reading, you have to see people read. And I, you know, my dad would read all the time. So me and my brother, we we both are avid readers. Or I admit now I'm a listener because of time. I listen to a lot of my books more than being able to read them. But we saw our dad reading, and I'm convinced that had he went to college, he probably would have been a professor because he's so well read. Um, so I, I, I'm really glad you said that, Shelby. So I also want to allow uh, Larry, my brother, um, and Taisha to introduce himself as well. They were on my first series of podcasts. So if you go back to series one, uh, Larry did a podcast with us on healthcare. And also, show, uh, Taisha did a podcast on her blog. So you can learn more about them there. But I still want them because a lot has happened since that first series. I can't believe like I'm in my core series of podcasts. So, uh, so I don't know. Taisha, you want to say a few words? <laughs> Hi, I'm Taisha. Uh Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Like. Yeah. You know, I, I say ditto when it comes to Uncle Larry, like very smart, cool guy to talk to. Um, and, and anytime he can watch Jeopardy and answer all the que- Jeopardy and answer all the questions, I'm always amazed because I can't answer one of them. So, yeah. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. All right. Thanks, Taisha. Larry, any any comments? If you just- yeah, great to be back. Uh... I'm looking forward to some spirited debate. I'm sure there's going to be some interesting opinions. Can't wait to get into it. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's great. That's great. Yes, it, it will be. And that's why I said it's a family discussion. So we all love each other, yeah. but we can all have different thoughts and opinions. So one of the things that, you know, I thought, you know, before we jumped into it is at least provide some foundation of uh, definitions. So what I did is, which I, my, my go-to is generally the Merriam-Webster online di- dictionary. So um, what I share with everyone is sort of five definitions. Uh, one is on capitalism, which according to them is an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods by investments that are determined by private decisions and by prices, production, and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in a free market, an economy operating by free competition. Then there's socialism, any of various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods. And there's then there's social democracy, which is a political movement advocating a gradual and peaceful transition from a capitalism to socialism by democratic means or two, a democratic welfare state that incorporates both capitalist and socialist practices. Then there's the stock exchange, a place where security trading is conducted on an organized system or two, an association of people organized to provide an auction market among themselves for the purchase and sale of securities And then finally, labor union, an organization of workers formed for the purpose of advancing its members' interests and respect the wages, benefits, and working conditions. So somehow, um, and and I I, I do agree with this. I, I found something on Investopedia that states that the United States has a mixed economy, okay? It works according to an economic system that features characteristics of both capitalism and socialism. A mixed economic system protects some private property and allows a level of economic freedom in the use of capital, but also allows for governments to intervene in economic activities in order to achieve social aims and for the public good. So my first question to throw out is, as such, what do you think about the current mixture and what would you suggest for a change? Because I, I, I do. Our, our, you know, I don't think you can argue with the fact that our United States is a is a is a mixture of capitalism and socialism. But the um, issue, the, the issue is that, um, and I, because I know that you bring definitions forward, I, I wanted to bring some definitions forward as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, could you reread the? Um, you said something, something about, uh, could you reread the part about mixed yeah. um, economy? A mixed eco- economic system protects some private property and allows a level of economic freedom in the use of capital, but also allows for governments to intervene in economic activities okay. in order to achieve social aims and for the public good. So pause. That's where I'm going to pause because I think on paper, that's fine, but I think that it's a little deeper than that when we're talking about the United States of America, specifically um, Europe slash America, um, really, and just by due to the nature of how our country was formed and um, 
I don't, and how I, I strongly believe that um, it it's a broken system built on stolen land by way of genocide on the backs of of of, of black people um, due to the slave trade, which was a direct result of capital of a capitalist ideology. Um, but I, I just want to like, I guess I'll start with the definitions that I have um, because I, I kind of feel that if I'm anything but uh, flawless in my delivery, um, people won't take me seriously. And I think that's one of the major concerns with um, anarcho-socialism, um, which is the ideological ideology I subscribe to um, because it, I don't know, makes people angry or it leads to this very patronizing kind of discourse. Um, and I'm also not trying to bum anyone out because I did some preliminary research before, um, as we talked about coming on and some of the things, uh, some of the numbers are are actually absurd, and to the point where uh, Christian and I were were talking about it this morning, and it, and it's pretty um, upsetting. Um, but the bottom line for me is that anarcho-socialism cares about everyone, period, um, and. There's, I, I want to be very clear about the distinctions between certain words. Like, I think we have this idea of what anarchy is. Like, mom, what, what did you say you, you anarchy was to you the other day? You said it was just like lawless or, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like people just running around doing whatever. And yeah. I'm going to read, um, first of all, libertarianism was really what anarchism was called before, but then that word was kind of co-opted by libertarians. And so now everything is skewed and doesn't really mean what it actually means. Um, so I'm gonna refer to anarchism by that, even though, um, because that's how we kind of understand it and know it today, but it is very different from American libertarianism. So I'll put that that out there. but. Um, this I believe is just from from Wikipedia, but um, anarchism is a political philosophy and movement that is skeptical of all justifications of authority and seeks to um, abolish institutions they claim maintain unnecessary coercion and hierarchy. Um, and I think the key word here is unnecessary. Um, as a historically left-wing movement, usually placed on the farthest left, um, it is usually described alongside uh, a variety of different things. And it first kind of came to be um, by around the 1800s um, and the mid 19th century. And it began in France. And so that's why, again, this idea of 
libertarianism is synonymous with anarchism, but not very much so anymore. And really, outside of the United States, anarchism is called libertarianism. But because in North America, again, that word has been co-opted by a group that isn't really using the word um, for what it means, um, we think of it in a different different way. Um, so you're suggesting that any mix, because you're suggest you're suggesting more of a, um, like you said, getting rid of anything that's not necessary from a intervention point of a of a, of a system. It's it's about I think collective ownership and also understanding the difference between personal property and private property, which is again one of the main differences between. American libertarianism and um, socio-anarchism um, because I think some people might assume that I'm arguing for just well, stealing from, from people or taking from what is rightfully someone else's and that's not what it's about. It's about um, be, it's about the necessary needs for survival being accessible to everyone because they are human rights. Um, for example, um, there's an apple orchard. Orchard. We live in this city and apples are our main, that's what we eat is apples. It's like Animal Crossing. You get one fruit and it's apples. Um, and everyone can, you know, go and it's free. You could take however many apples you need and everyone's happy because everyone eats and you know it's it's fine and i think that that's kind of the idea and then people say well well what if somebody takes all the apples and in this socialist society there would be no reason to take all the apples and also who needs infinite apples if i if i'm hungry i'm going to take like one maybe two apples i'm not going to take all the apples especially because like I, in a socialist society, I can't then go and sell them for, for money. So that's kind of the idea um, that for capitalism to, to work, you, it, it needs to be exploitative in some way, shape or form. Um, and why not just give people what they need to survive? And yeah, I'll, I don't wanna, you know, talk too much. So I'll stop there for now. No, that put that was, thank you for sharing that, that different, that, the definition and something that I didn't include in the foundation of it. So, but I do want to hear what other people's, you know, other families uh, opinions are around this mixed society and what is the right mix or, you know, what do you think about what Shelby has said? I have some thoughts, but I also want to give, give other, other family members opportunities. So, Anybody want to jump in? <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so the, the only challenge that I have with a system like that is it doesn't seem like there'd be anyone responsible for the necessities. So who maintains the apple orchard? Is it everyone? Is there a certain yes. group? Is there? Um, okay. And that's, the, that's the answer, yes. 
It's like okay. everybody works to together to, and, and it's kind of like, again, another argument is like, well, what about the jobs that people don't want to do? Well, I'll, I'm going to, I'll tell you right now, everybody is passionate about somebody you can, or about something. You can find somebody really, they are a plumber. That is what their family does. And that's, that's what they do. Um, or, but like, let's say again, our, our, the town runs on apples. So if we are to survive, then we need to keep the apple orchard running. So of course, just because that's what we need, why would we not support the apple orchard? That's, that's the idea. And okay. I, I get it. I, mm. For for me, I, I see it as, and I don't want to sound dismissive or or I'm not attacking you, but I, I the the challenge with a system like that, I, I think there has to be some forms of capitalism. What we have now is definitely not sustainable. Um, I think a lot of uh, the things happening in America and a lot of the difficulties that we're having is mainly because there's socialism for the wealthy and capitalism for the poor. Um, yeah. So, if that, if, that if capitalism is to work, it, it it can't be unrestrained because you can't have companies um, basically in charge of everything because ultimately they're driven by profit. It doesn't matter what costs there are. It doesn't matter. So should there be um, should there be non should there be non public utilities? I don't think so. I, in my mind, if there is electricity, if there are structures that the society needs to survive, they should be controlled by our government. However, we need to do a, we need to do a better job of getting money out of politics because at the end of the day, those same politicians that we're electing are beholden to these corporations whose only goal is to make a profit. Now, I don't want to yeah. demonize corporations either, because there may be a few out there that are that are good. There are probably more than more the majority that are all that are good. However, I'm sure there's some aspect of their business that causes harm. Can we take all of the harm out? Probably not. But we don't want to make it so that we believe companies are great and government is good. And I don't know if I'm rambling, but I I, I just don't think what we have now is working properly, and it. It calls for the government to do what it's supposed to do because whenever you say the word government, it's like a bad word because you already know it's going to be a mess. It's going to take too long and it's going to cost too much. Um, that has they have to gain some of the efficiencies that corporate America has 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 come up with, not at the detriment to people, but um, in a in a way that allows the government to function and do things that the people need it to do. And until we get to, and I don't know what that would be called, that may be that social democracy that we're talking about. Maybe it fits kind of into that bucket, but I don't know going to the full uh, anarcho, if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, correct me, but anarcho system would, would, would help us in our situation. I, I think it's too um, decentralized to allow a country yeah. this large in a in a larger aspect now if you did a town like that you might be able to do it but for a country it would probably be a little bit more difficult and to, i think that's where like that. where the because 
because I I agree with most everything that that you're saying, and I think in a perfect world, what you're talking about, Uncle Larry, would be a stepping block or towards what I'm talking about. And where I get bummed out is that I don't I I don't believe that that enough people are going to care enough to to make it so that the government actually works for the people. Um, and because of how our government works, unless there's like, I, I personally am like, okay, well, it just needs to, unless there is, is major, um, unless we abolish how, how, what we're working with and start over, I don't, I don't know if I'm very confident in getting to a point where we have a capitalist society that works for the people and not for the, the majority and not for the the 1%. I just don't see if that, I don't, I don't believe that that's a feasible option just because of how capitalism works ultimately. But I don't think what we have is truly capitalism and that's, that's the issue. Um, if you, if you, in my mind, when you look at capitalism, we're actually having the government bail out companies and capitalism, that wouldn't happen. That company would fail. And so it, it's basically, you, you don't have the government in there. For they, and, and this is how I, how I see it as far as our capitalism. We're saving companies, but we're allowing people to starve. And so you can't have that. Um, anytime you talk about a, a, a program that's going to help um, the lower income in this country, it's automatically seen as a giveaway. Um, it still cracks me up to this day that they look at Social Security as a giveaway, not that the government is taking your money interest-free for an extended amount of time and then giving it back to you, and not all of it. And so I, I think we need to get to a point where corporations pay their fair share, because I have a feeling that most of the people in this country pay their fair share. There are going to be people that are lower income that may not pay as much. But guess what? They're paying into this system. And it's that system that is supporting corporations. Like, why do those corporations get tax breaks for certain things? In, in my mind, those tax breaks shouldn't be happening. In, in, a capitalist, in a capitalist society, they shouldn't be happening. I mean, at the end of the day, that they should be putting a putting forth the best product possible and selling it to the most people if it's if it's going to be capitalism and maybe i'm interpreting that incorrectly but that's how i that's how i'm viewing it i don't think that um we're 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 making our corporations actually work i I do think they're taking public dollars and actually profiting using public dollars you're all the cost of larry I can't go fully over there, though. That's the thing. I can't go there because I do think that there has to be a centralized government that's responsible for keeping the roads sick. They don't do it now. That's responsible for keeping the water pure. That's supposed to be protecting all of, uh, protecting, um, protecting the public, not allowing toxic waste or water to be poisoned, not allowing uh, to continue all, all of these things. And 2020, there shouldn't be towns that don't have clean water. How is that possible? You know what I mean? But because they've allowed infrastructure to, to sit by the wayside or whatever, it, it should not happen. Ever. You know? Yeah, it, 
Um, yeah. And I think that's where America loses. And I'm not, I've never been to Europe. I, I, I'd just be going based off of what I read about it. But I do think they do a better job of governing and managing infrastructure and using the people's money, whatever they're doing. And I don't know that in America we do that. And a lot of that probably has to do with corporations basically running the government in many cases, and even in certain areas. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, I think what you're saying is something that people really need to think about because um, other countries do do a better job. You know, we're one of the few com- countries that doesn't have healthcare as a, everyone should have healthcare. Right. And those countries tend to do pretty well. So I, I, I think we do need to have a mixed, mixed society with boundaries um, I, I, I think in the ideal world, I understand what you're saying, Shelby, but, and, and I like what, you, like what Larry said about it probably could work in a town, but in a whole United States uh, where you have all pe- all the people and, you know, there needs to be some structure. I think there needs to be templates, to, um, to, um, some kind of boundaries around what we do. And And that's why I get bummed out because, again, and maybe I I honestly, I don't know. It would, y'all would have to really spit some facts at me um, for me to completely change my mind, maybe even a a little bit. But I, I, the the way capitalism works, and which is why this is why I I worry, Uncle Larry, that we'll never be able to get to a a point where our, our government. Uh, like you're absolutely right they should be doing what you're saying they should be doing but i i'm of the opinion that they will never because our our capitalism how our companies work is so married to our government and capitalism is concerned with profit you can only make profit if you put out more than you consume and that means paying employees less than what they're worth um, and increasing productivity without paying people more. And that's why like productivity is, has always been increasing, but the minimum wage hasn't. So it's, it's capitalism kind of demands you work hard, like the majority of the people, the people who make the corporations rich, it demands that, that we work hard but, and then have, well, the, the 1% major companies, which are intertwined with our government, kind of can skim off the top. And that's so easy. So why would they change? But I think that's where it almost leads into my next question about, uh, is there a place for unions in a capitalistic society? Because now where we have less unions, you, there's not that collective bargaining with corporations to be able to uh, do what is right. Because, you know, um, unfortunately, I would love to believe that everybody does what's right. But that's why we have laws. That's why we have things. And and I, I'll, I'll go back to one other thing I like what Larry said about getting money out of politics. So if you have a politician who is backed by the coal industry, why would they want to do things to change, get us out of fossil fuels? You know what I mean? So if we could just, I think if we could do that, that would help a lot. 
um, with things um, around this whole thing of, you know, uh, you know, capitalism and socialism and taking care of people. I feel like we're the richest company country in the world. We should be able to take care of our people and people still should be able to be successful. Um, and we can, it, it's, we can, I like, don't, don't get it twisted. And I, I actually, I went and I did some math and y'all know, I hate, I'm an artist. I'm an artist. I'm quirky. I don't do math, but I went and I and I did some math and we have the money to 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 end all of these issues. And that's just North America. We it's not that we don't have the money. It's here. We have it. We just people don't like because because the the rich have the power. Why why would they why why do they care? And even even if, like, I, I let me find it. It was like, uh, who was it? Oh, Bill Gates in 2019. Um, Bill Gates stopped working, and he was trying to, you know, donate, give away his money. Um, at and he stopped working. So 13 years from 2019. So that's uh, 2000, um, 2006. Mm-hmm. He stopped working and started giving away his money. But because of how capitalism works in our in North America, he makes more money than he can keep up giving it away. That's the but that's it, the the issue. But here's the here's the one thing, and I, I forget what show I saw. Unfortunately, I won't be able to give them credit. But you have a lot of these folks that love to um, give their money away. Um, But in essence, it's another form of, I'm going to call it deception that may not be the right word. Oh, and I absolutely Um, agree. I know what you're about to say. Yeah. And it's basically, so people are comfortable with those people giving away money. And don't get me wrong, they probably do help some causes and challenges. They're directing that money to the causes that they care about. Um, when When in essence, had they been taxed like they should have been, it would have been hopefully used for the public benefit. And and so I was watching some program and they were talking about it. If you think about all of the not the, the tax loopholes and the things that corporations and individuals use to avoid paying taxes, that the the regular person getting a paycheck don't get. Um, it, in in no world should someone making a billion dollars pay less than their secretary as a percentage of what they make. And so you can have someone not work and give away money and still not be able to give away enough, but in essence, they make themselves look good and they get to feed their pet projects while not contributing to those roads and bridges and schools and all of those things that are necessary to maintain um, everything in, in, in the public sphere, public sphere of the United States. So when you hear about the bridges that are collapsing, you hear about the schools that are in disrepair, when you hear about students or teachers not being paid enough, it's difficult to point your finger at those people because they're giving away money. But in essence, they're holding on to money that they should have been giving into the public pool to spend for the majority of the people. Yeah, because I mean, I'm sure all of us on the on this 
in this podcast have probably paid more in taxes than some of the richest people in our in our uh, USA. And I think yeah. that um, has been coming out more and more. Yet people, some people get very upset when you say, why can't everybody pay their fair share? You know, um, so it's uh, it's, a, it's it's definitely a, a clear dy- dynamic. I know um, Elizabeth Warren talks about this as well. Some other politicians about, you know, if we only pay, had the top, you know, uh, people who make money pay like 1%, we could pay for so many things. So, you know, it's, yeah. I, I want to hear what Tahisha and, um, yeah, that's what's going to, yeah. Because of you brought up that, that number, I did some, I, like I said, I did some math and I went off of, um, so it, uh, there was a study and it's, According um, to the Federal Reserve, I, I think, and let me see. I'll I'll link all of these things to you, Ma. But it, they estimate it. It's generally around three hundred billion to fifty trillion um, to um, actually now. Now it's um, it used to be that in twenty twenty one. Now it's in twenty twenty two. It's one hundred thirty one trillion dollars. The 1%, okay, so in, in the 1% in just our country is worth around 23 to 41 trillion, um, according to the Federal Reserve. And then I looked at the fiscal budget for the military for next year, 2023, um, and they designated eight, $813 billion to the military. So I did the math, like, so what that would be per month. Um, and for just, if we just, and I'm being conservative with my numbers, if it would take, I think, a total of five years, 66 months to greatly improve, if not stop global warming. And that's just if we directed our money away from the 1% in North America and from our military. Five years. That That's that's it. And that's only pulling from, from two sources in only one country mm-hmm. that the, the challenge with the military is um this country thinks that we need all of this defense and, and we're fighting war we're, we're purchasing equipment that doesn't fight the battles that we're going to have to fight in the future um we're funding planes and tanks and trucks and the, 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 and cyber is going to be the biggest issue we probably run into. When a terrorist can shut down your grid from a cave in, in wherever, <laughs> it's not going to, a tank isn't going to help you. That plane isn't going to help you. We need to be investing, instead of investing in the things that are making corporations rich as far as the military, we need to be investing in the true things that we need for the defense of this country. Um, I don't want to get off topic, but I think the military, we need to rein in military spending. The problem is when you try to do that, there are certain places that are dependent on it. So you have to come up. We have to, as a country, get more creative in how we want to spend our money. Is it worth it to buy that jet or is it better to actually fix the road? But it's difficult because you look at um, the government again. 
because it's a bad name when you talk about government, it's difficult to have people trust that the government is going to be able to deliver on fixing things and doing it in a good way or a quick way or efficient or cheap, not even cheap, inexpensive, but appropriate. And mm-hmm. so they can trust the corporation. They'll say, hey, that corporation is going to be very efficient in doing it. It doesn't help you, but <laughs> they're going to be inefficient, so you'll give them the money. But we need to get to a point where we can actually have our government doing the things that we need them to do with the dollars that we're giving them. Because right now, they are not spending it where we need it. They are right. catering to a few companies that are, that companies or interests that are basically taking our public funds. Yeah. No, that's true. Oh, wow. Well, I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I think uh, that'll be alluded to this. I, I don't want to leave Dad and Tahisha out. So any, any comments, Dad, I'm going to give you, you've been here listening to a lot. So. <laughs> My views on capitalism are, you know, I guess a lot of people would say it's harsh, but when you when you look at the reality of it, the best way to describe it, in my opinion, it was a, a, a musical group out of Oakland, California in the 70s that, uh, you know, they were uh, musicians and uh, poets, and they put together an album, and one of the phrases in the album was, you know, talking about the country and, you know, they, they just said it was a dog-eat-dog world and the dirtiest dog gets the bone. Not the dog with the loudest bark, but the dog with the coldest heart. And, uh, you know, the, the system's just cold, you know. Listening to, uh, listening to this talk about the uh, military and the uh, government, one of the uh, advantages of uh, longevity is that you see things that happened in the past. And Dwight D. Eisenhower, when he was coming out of office in 1960, and he was a Republican, warned the country about the dangers of the military-industrial complex. And, you know, like, hey, I've sat back, since he said those words, I've sat back in the intervening years and watched it happen, you know. Um, if you look at the way that our system is run, you could go back to 600 years in England. And if you look at the system that they operated under then, 2% of the people had 50% of the wealth, just as we have here, you know? And uh, it's... If you look at mankind's progress over the centuries, they've made great strides in in, in, in uh, science, technology, and uh, uh, but but where they've really fallen short is trying to organize society. They need a lot of work. Okay. Just as we've had all of the uh, uh, advances in 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 the in in in, in the last five hundred years in science and technology, this the systems they, they run at about the same. 
from from my point of view, I don't see any difference. I don't see any difference from the kings and the dukes and the lords and the earls having all of the problem in uh, 14th century England. Then I see these industrialists uh, with the same amount of power in this country. I, you know, let's just say it's a lot of work that has to be done, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna look to the future, it's very important that you understand what has happened in the past. They didn't all they didn't all at once come upon us and say, "Hey, this is uh, you know this is capitalism, and we're here for you." This developed over centuries to get to the point where we are today, and after centuries, it needs a lot of work, a lot of work, for it to be more humane, more fair. It needs a lot of work, you know. Uh, people like to pat themselves on the back, backs about progress, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a lot that needs to be done. And it could be so easily done. Yeah, yeah. So, um, Yeah, I think it, the, the root of it is if once you look back at everyone's characteristics, there's this thing of you have to feel like you're above the next person, which results in classism. So um, there's a need, and especially Americans, and I don't want to put everyone down, but it's the, yeah, it's the competitive nature that we have, but it's also to one-up someone. And so um, having to be able to, I guess, get to the top and look at the little guy. And you see that in businesses, you see that in uh, the monarchy. It's, you know, it's that classism that separates everyone, the next, the, the one man from the next man. Um, and, and, and that's a problem. And that's why capitalism is so huge in this company, because, you know, there's a class system, um, unfortunately. Um, but if we can go back, you know, and look at, ourselves individually and see if we fall in that competitive section where we feel like we need to outpace the next person. We're, we're actually doing exactly what we're sitting here talking about when it comes to capitalism. So, you know, it, it you know, change only can start with you, um, with me, you know, with ourselves. And if we want those types of societies, you know, how do we look when we are bringing our kids up or bringing our children up and how we're teaching them and, you know, making sure that we're teaching them that they're no better than the next person and that it's not a hand down when you're helping someone, you know, it's a hand up, <laughs> you know? So right. um, we, we have to look at those aspects of it when we're talking about these types of issues is, you know, how do we even ourselves contribute to this particular um, issue? But I also want kind of piggybacking off of what you just said, Tahisha. This and this is why I, I, I'm always talking about like big corporations because as much as like the the public is at a, a at a real disadvantage, especially because I know we talk about the free market and um, another excuse that that is often thrown around is like, well, if you don't want to, you know. Um, involve yourself with capitalism then just don't buy things and like you can go out into the woods anytime you want and it's like well okay what about the disabled what about like people who need medications like and 
insulin was an, an example. And I'm sure mom, you could speak more on this, but it was like, it costs 10 bucks, under 10 bucks to provide, to um, produce, um, I think a vial of insulin, but it costs like, I don't even know how much insulin costs. I actually have, I think I have it somewhere in here. Um, I think it was like $500 between 500 and a thousand dollars to get something that this you need and people with diabetes, like they, they, they don't have any choice that that's not being voluntary means that you can choose not to do something without harm coming to you. But in North America, um, and our, how our system works, we can't really choose not to involve ourselves in kind of the, how backwards everything is because it, it's just not possible for us to survive that way and live that way. Um, especially when you're talking about people, like I said, who are disabled or who, you know, I, I think of like my, my cousin um, who has seizures, like wait, there's, there's, there's no, there would be no way for certain people to be able to just like go off and, you know, start a homestead. Like that's, that's not realistic. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point about the, just the go, just about the prescription drug thing. I know our, our government has put some, maybe 10 drugs are going to be in the list of you know, and insulin, I believe is one of them that we're going to try to get better prices for. And this is where to me, the US does fall down. And I'm as, and I'm speaking as one who works in the industry, the pharmaceutical industry, but other countries have pricing, they make sure that their people can buy the drugs, they negotiate. And in my mind, um, I work with incredibly smart people. And I'm sure that companies will figure out how to get their money that they need, just like we sell drugs in Europe and other places that have, you know, we have to negotiate prices. We'll figure it out so that we can get the money we need to do research and development. Because I admit, medicines don't come out by magic. They take a lot of work and a lot of science and a lot of, it takes 10 years to come up with the medicine. So therefore, of course, companies need to be able to pour money into research and development and support it. So, you know, medicines can't be free. They have to have a cost. But I think, too, because the U.S. doesn't have any boundaries, of course, the companies are going to make the U.S. pay more than they make other countries that has boundaries. So I think, you know, it's important to put these things all in perspective. And, and as Dad said, you know, we could do better. But I also wanted, Dad, if you mind, talking a little bit about the unions, because it seems like we're definitely in a trend of, get, we were in a trend of getting you, moving, removing unions. And I know you came up with unions and you were able to take care of our family and do some wonderful things, working hard. Um, but now it seems like unions are coming back. And I think that's a good thing. You hear Starbucks. Recently, the rail workers were able to get some. The PMA recently. um, Yeah. Workers. I don't know if y'all saw that in the news. I think it was a couple days ago. Um, Yeah. Because, and so even in this seeps into 
the art world, which is where I live, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on union staff because I think that is, I, I had that question, is there a place for unions in capitalism? I think unions are a must in capitalism. <laughs> I mean, uh, working, working, for, working for one of these companies without a union is like a thief stealing from the blind. I mean, it's unbelievable the progress that the generation prior to my generation did in dealing with the corporations that they were working for. You know, uh, unions were able to get decent wages, decent benefits. I mean, my eye care was free. My health insurance was free. I mean, zero pay. My, uh, you know, uh, eyeglass, it was, everything was free. Dental, it was all free, all thrown in there, no copay. When I went to the drugstore to pick up a prescription, no copay, zero copay. And this was a result of the generation prior to mine fighting for these rights through unions. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, starting with what happened uh, with the air traffic controllers uh, during the Reagan administrations, that was the beginning of the end of uh, unions in this country. And, you know, it's a it's a big deficit. It's something that workers absolutely need if they're dealing with these corporations, Uh, unless you have. Uh, unless you have a union fighting for you and you're working for one of these corporations, you're you're in bad shape. You know, uh, I I recognize while I was in the union and working, I said, "Boy, I better enjoy this while I get it because you know what, it's not going to stay. It's not going to stay." I knew that in the future, my kids would not be able to have a job like the one that I have, because if they did, they'd be making seven twenty five an hour with no benefits, you know? So, you know, uh, the, the demise of the unions in this country has uh, uh, had, a, have, had a really bad effect on workers across the country. I mean, you look at all of the problems that we're having now with uh, uh, trucking and deliveries. When it was unionized trucking, you didn't have those problems because you didn't have companies treating their drivers and putting all the onus on them. You know, all they, they, now if they go some drive a truck somewhere and they stop, they don't get paid for the time that they're waiting to get unloaded and loaded. But it's time to actually work. You know, that that would have never happened. Under humans, you know, so, you know, I, you know, uh, it was like everything that the generation prior to my generation gave to us, it's all, it's all been taken away. It's all been taken away. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a point that people in this country really don't recognize is that just because you're making progress, don't think it's always going to be that way. Because, you know, the, the powers that be in this country are just waiting for a chance to steal it back. And and they always will. Any progress you make, you take two steps forward, they're looking for a way to make you take three steps back. 
you know. I'm glad you brought that up, Papa, because um, I was looking into a lot, like, into, like, wage theft, for example. Um, Mm. And I, according to the Center for Urban Economic Development um, in the University of Illinois, um, among all United States workers, 25% have experienced minimum wage violations, 19% have experienced overtime violations, 16% 16% have experienced working off the clock. Um, 58% have experienced meal break violations, which I know for a fact to be, be true. Listen, I think so many people have worked retail and I didn't even know that my meal time was being violated until I, I was like well into working. And um, according to Temple University, and this is just looking at Pennsylvania, nearly 400,000 Pennsylvania workers experience a minimum wage violation. Um, and then over 30, uh, 300,000 um, experience an overtime violation. Um, and that 19 to $32 million in wages are stolen from workers in Pennsylvania alone. And so that's like, again, that's that's just, absurd and it's like wage theft which comes from higher the higher up taking from the people who have less it's more than i believe auto theft um larceny and and something else combined like it is the 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 most problematic form of theft in the united states um and i don't think like you said papa people really realize how big of an, an issue this is I actually, um, I have a love-hate um, issue about the unions, and I get it. Yeah, it, there should be. Absolutely, we should have unions. But the problem I have with unions is that they also protect those folks who don't deserve protecting. And I've seen people, you know, do things that were seriously egregious. And should have been terminated. But because the union stepped in and Conda said it wasn't me, they had that type of mentality. And it's and you just and I just lost so much respect because I'm saying, like, you know, how do you excuse that? You know, and coming from HR, when I first got into HR, you know, and I had to do my first termination, I was like really sick and upset and, you know, but the more and more I started to look into things and see these employees getting what are getting away with things that you, you just really couldn't believe. And it's, you know, and, and for that aspect, I'm just like, this is a bunch of crap, <laughs> you know, and it's unfortunate because, there's always someone waiting in line who can actually have that position. But when you're not showing up or you're showing to showing up to work and you're, you're intoxicated um, and you become not only a danger to yourself, but also to other employees, you know, it's in the unions protect those employees. I, I, I had a really bad taste in my mouth because of that. And I do give uh, the unions, you know, a side eye sometimes, but I do get, I do understand that 
yeah, for those, you know, equal pay benefits and, and things like that. Absolutely. But when it's time to discipline or to hold those employees accountable, that's when I think the union should also stand up and say, no, this is unacceptable and not fight for someone who really doesn't deserve to be in that position. The book, one of the books I was, I've been reading, I'm, I get this from you, mom. I read like four books at once. So one of them, and again, all of them I'll, I'll send to you because I think all of them are relevant to this conversation um, is how capitalism underdeveloped black America um, by Manning Maribel. And he kind of speaks about the, the how the issues that that arise. And I think he focuses more on racial issues. And again, pop up, you can maybe talk more on this. That kind of arose from from unions at a, at a certain time. So it's just like anything. It's it's never like a a black and white answer. There's always going to be. Um, I need to really look deeper at um, how how things work, how our unions work, and making sure that they are doing kind of like Uncle Larry was saying about the government, what they're supposed to be doing, which on paper sounds is good, but I guess it does need to be regulated in some way. Yeah, but I guess that. it's supposed to be like my. I guess with with. A, from a socialist viewpoint, it's that the common good would kind of come together to make sure that those people are punished in, in a way, and there wouldn't be any sort of higher hierarchy that's protecting them. But I, that's, this is a topic that I'm um, a little removed from, so. You know, for me, oh, go ahead, Yeah, I had a, a friend that uh, worked with me some years ago, Percy. And Percy was crazy as a bit, brother. He decided to come to work one day, and he worked on the in the warehouse at the loading dock. And he decided he what he would do was pick orders that would be delivered to the stores. And he decided to come to work one day and move at a snail's pace. I mean, snail. And, you know, the bosses naturally got upset about it. And they pulled Percy into the office. When they pulled Percy into the office, the whole warehouse, there were teamsters, stopped working. And after about 15 minutes, management told Percy, Percy, you go back to work. Now, I'm not defending Percy because I I, I I told you from the beginning he was crazy as a bed bug. But you you can't expect to have perfection from anyone, including unions. However, what you what you what you really uh what you really need to understand is that unions fight against corporations to protect your rights, okay? And even though they're not perfect, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. 
I have to agree with you there, Dave. And I was going to say, Taisha, I've seen it from your aspect of it, where I've seen bad unions. I've heard about good unions. Um, I, I think in the world we're in today, we probably need more unions. We need to get rid of these right-to-work um, laws and things like that. Um, the, the unions are that check and balance that we used to have, I'll say, on the government as well as uh, uh, corporations. And that, that's what we're missing, I think, across the board. Um, you have to have a, a, a check and balance that says, okay, yeah, you've gone too far. Let's pull it back. And I think in the past, there was that check and balance, and it's since been well removed. And everything is going one way, and it has been. Anytime that in 2022, what is the minimum wage? $7.25? Uh, and it's been that way. It looks like since, what was it? I just saw the date. I think it was like the early 2000s or something like that. And uh, you can't tell me that 725 is the minimum wage. And there are people making less than that because they're considered a tipped employee. Um, so it, it's just it's just striking that in, in, in this day and age that we have that as the minimum wage for people. And in essence, this is where I'll, I'll bring it back to something I said earlier. We're supporting or paying these corporations because those same people that are making minimum wage also qualify for government benefits. And we could be, and not a knock on them, our minimum wage literally sets you in a position to do that. Corporations can pay you that, so they can pay, they're going to pay you that. Um, but we're also subsidizing those corporations because we're providing the benefits instead of that corporation paying a livable wage and uh, um, not having to be supported by the government. I, I think people miss those little nuances. It's sometimes you got to look at things a little bit finer and not just look at the surface. I think, you know, what you brought out is really a good point because, and also I don't think people can see the whole picture because when we were trying to get $15 minimum wage, there was so much people against that. But I don't think people understand that people make more money, they also will put more money back into the economy, right? And they will buy things and then it keeps the it keeps our economy going. So I think that, you know, and and as you said, you know, it's no no reason. I don't think there's really any place in the country where you could live on a seven, whatever it is, you know, I know some places in the South might be a little bit, of course, in California, now, but California even went to, I think in California, they're at 15 already. So right. why, why not make it across our country so that people can live and then they'll put more money into the economy. So I think people are so and sure even so, $15 an hour isn't really gonna Good honestly. Yeah, that's the thing. I think that someone did a study, and again, I don't know who it was, and I can't remember where I read it, but I think it's supposed to be like if if we if if um, the minimum wage kept up with um, I'll call it inflation, I think it would be something like twenty five dollars an hour, twenty one between twenty one and twenty five dollars an hour. It should be at this point. Um, so fifteen dollars is basically we'll set it at that mark, but ultimately it's still not the amount that um, is going to truly be considered where, where inflation, uh, I don't know if it's called inflation, but um, basically based on all the growth that we've seen 
since that 725, it it shouldn't it should be much higher than fifteen dollars an hour. But it, fifteen dollars an hour is definitely much better than seven twenty five. Yeah, no, that is that's so true. Um, and I think I think we talked about this a little bit, but I want to go back to this um, wealth gap thing because I I did provide the statistics. I got it from Statistica. And this was for the first quarter of 2022, so it's pretty re- re- recent. And it says 69.1% of the total wealth in the United States was owned by the top 10% of earners. In comparison, the lowest 50% of earners only own 2.8% of total wealth. And, you know, can we do, do, you, do we blame capitalism for this wealth gap? Yes. <laughs> I don't know that it's capitalism. I think it's a combi- combination of uh, government and capitalism. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Our government is it. It basically it's 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 a wing of the capital of the capital. Right. Yeah. No, I, I hear you, but it, it it's challenging because the the system kind of works if we don't take away all of the guardrails. What what we've done is we've taken away all the guardrails and complaining about the outcome. We need to get back to having those guardrails. Um, and it seems, and, and 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 I think that's where the the biggest issue is. We've taken away all of the protections that used to be there, and now we're saying, okay, the corporations can run it, and that's not the case because that, at the end of the day, their focus is profit and it's not to demonize them they need to make a profit but at the end of the day it shouldn't be a system where you're allowed to just destroy or, or ruin kill people or or uh financially ruin people as a corporation and get away with it um we have I'll to get back to holding them like half, and then we got to hold them accountable at the end of the day we need um we need, and I don't know that regulation is the key. I think we just need to get back to some of those uh, guardrails that we had. <sighs> yeah, you know what's interesting though is I I feel like, and and I, I I sort of give this credit to Shelby's generation that because of the way that you got your generation is very vocal about the environment and different issues corporations are trying to work on some of these things. So I think there's something that people have. A lot of it is performative. You know, a lot of it is performative. You know, like how we raise our, our uh, children and, and, and what is important in having value is something that can make an impact. At least companies have environmental um, targets that they're trying to, to, to make. And, uh, but I, I will say, as as far as um, things like that go, because, listen, I'm sure there are certain people, individuals that do want to do the right thing and have, you know, the environment and their workers in mind. But really, when you're looking at... Um, certain companies are looking for like their um, sustainability reports and different things like that really, really look because a lot of these companies 
say they're doing things or say they have goals, but really it's just kind of like they're slapping this, we're moving towards this, that, and the other on top of um, their website or whatever. Very well hidden. I'll, I'll, I'll also say, like, go to a, a, any clothing brand's website and try and find their 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 stance on the environment. You're gonna have to search for a while um, because they kind of dance around it a little bit so that they don't have to be held accountable. And it's still um, a major issue. And I can speak from I've worked at grocery stores. Um, but I also know this to be true for clothing stores as well. These companies, these markets, these clothing brands are more concerned about that profit and losing profit um, than other people who are in need having clothes and food. For example, a lot of clothing brands, when there are returns, or they have a lot of clothing when they throw them out so that people cannot dumpster dive and then maybe potentially sell it for a little bit more than what the store is selling it for. They do things like set them on fire or in the case of food, cover things in bleach. Working at a grocery store, we, I can say, and it really is I, I sound like a broken record saying the word absurd so much, but it is, it's devastating how much food is thrown away um, in, in our grocery stores. And I know for a fact that that's the same thing that happens um, on the manufacturing um, level if things don't sell or people think things won't sell um, in grocery stores. If an apple doesn't really look like a perfect apple or if a cucumber is kind of shaped weird, that will be pulled. If it even gets to the grocery store and then it will be tossed. That's, it's perfectly fine. But because it's not appealing to look at, because it's not perfect, because it doesn't meet a certain standard, it's trashed instead of given to someone else. And that is the mentality that a lot of our corporations still um, operate under. And I, I see it literally yeah. every every day when I go to work. But I don't, and I don't dispute that, but I would say that because of the consciousness, things are changing. For example, I'll bring up Aspiration, not a sponsor, but Aspiration is a company where it's a bank. It's an online bank and everything they do goes to like, they won't, they won't do any, they won't invest your money in fossil food for fuels. They won't do certain things. There's companies that will, for example, I volunteer to fill abundance. And there are some markets that will give those things that are slightly, you know, not people may not buy them per se, but they're still good and we can use something with them. Or I ever think about the the bread company that you work for, Shelby, that they would give their bread away or try to. But so, that's, a, that's a small business. See, this is right. This is where it's different. Because even I'm not going to name drop, but I've worked for two grocery stores at this point in my life. One is bigger than the other. Both of them are technically on the smaller end, I would say, of when you think of grocery stores. They are still much bigger than Baker Street Bread was. And I remember explicitly 
like being told that we were not allowed to donate um, food. Um, it was, I, I guess there was, they, for certain, certain things like meat, for example, it was kind of, um, there were different laws and different things like health related things that have yeah, to be, yeah, and you know, put under, you know, taken under consideration. But the different, the difference is Baker Street Bread is like, it's, it's a small little shop in, in Chestnut Hill. They have one location. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not the big corporations that I'm talking about. Let me say, yeah. um, I worked in a fast food restaurant some way, couple twenty years, putting twenty plus years ago, and we did. We threw away a tremendous amount of food, but I got why we did that, and it had to do with liability. And Pennsylvania is huge on people suing, and that's why they couldn't give away the food because of the liability that that ran behind it. And at first I was like, oh, that's gross. But then once you start to look at it and see how many um, lawsuits are brought against these companies, it's it's almost like, okay, well, if we can't give it away, then we, we must throw it away. And it's unfortunate. So you you have you really do have to look at both aspects of it. Because then, yeah, you you want them to 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 go ahead and um you know, give it away. But then what happens when somebody does sue them or bring some type of lawsuit against them, then that is like a trickle down effect. You know, prices go up, you know, um, hours are cut. So it's so much bigger than um, them just throwing it away. It's, you know, that's why I say it all really comes back down to us as individuals and who we are as, as what our characteristics are. And so we really do have to just kind of start with ourselves. Which is all we can do is, you know, we all are doing what we can, how we can. Um, and that's why I, I'm really like some people like the, the vegan community, for example, it can be so gatekeepery and toxic and also racist. And I won't go too into that, even though it does um, feed, bleed into this conversation. But that's why I'm never going to police what somebody else is eating, despite what I choose to eat or not eat because we're all doing what we can when we can, but the people who are going to make the biggest amount of, of movement is either if the corporations start doing better or if we all collectively come together to, um, I think move towards, um, abolition, but that's, it's just like we individually, and this is a big topic. And for example, the low waste movement used to be called the zero waste movement, which is completely the, the term was trapped because it's impossible for a consumer, for an individual to be zero, to be zero waste. Zero waste was never meant for the consumer, the individual. Zero waste was meant to put pressure on the companies and for them, for it to start with them changing how they choose to run their business. Um, yeah, and it's just it, it is it is like it, again. That's why I kind of sometimes I get I get bummed because it almost feels like 
no matter how much you as one person does, um, if the people that are have the most power and the most money don't start caring more, then we're going to either move at a snail's pace, have how we have been, or not move at all, or go backwards. Yeah, but I think that's where it comes through is individual and then collective, whether it's unions or or people getting together and that pressure. Because I think, like I said, I think the um, young people in your generation put a lot of pressure on companies to even look at it. Who who had an ESG report like 10 years ago? But it's the pressure of saying something's going on with our environment. We have to do something. We have to try something. Who would even thought of an aspiration years well, ago. We, well, I guess we have to because I think it said it was like I can't remember when the study was what came out, um, but it was like they est- estimated that it, we would need we need to start looking at how we treat our environment and and the world. We have 15 years before we do irreversible damage, and the in the grand scheme of human time. That's 15 years is a blip. And we are not, we have like, like I don't know where Christian got this resource, but they apparently saw something that like tomorrow we could completely go to renewable, renewable energy. We have the resources to do that, but we just don't. And it's like, it, it, so it, it's like we, we have to care because I mean, not, I, I don't know how else to put this, but like, it's going to be, my children, my children's children's future. And that's what Christian and I also have talked about, and a lot of people my age um, have talked about kind of the idea of um, having a family and, and children and being very concerned with they're going, if they're going to have clean water. Do we even have clean water right now? Is everything going to be plastic? You know, like, it's it's... It is really a messed up situation that we have to even think about those things because of how much humans have just ruined our 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 environment and seem to not care about fixing it because it's much easier and it's more profitable to dump a bunch of all of your your waste into the ocean instead of disposing of it in a more um, responsible manner. And that's where I think, you know, um, the forever the optimist that I am is that this allows for creativity of how can we recycle? How can we, now we have an infrastructure system. There's places over the country that are having word issues. This is a great time to put people to work to fix our in- infrastructure. We have, we have an opportunity here to take all these things to to make things better, right? To put people to work, to to to, to fix our roads, to, to fix our piping. Um, you, but you have to be, um, in a sense, open to um, to be able to uh, see how we can do this in in our society. Yes, it is a, it is a mixture right now. And it and it's a part of personal responsibility, but also working within the system we have now and changing it so that we can we can make a positive positive change. I think, um, you know, uh, so it's it's 
I, I don't think, I don't think that uh, we have a lot of work to do. I think, think everybody has would agree on that. And I don't think we can live in, you know, a pure capitalistic society or a pure socialist society. And I think that, you know, Shelby, what you opened up with, you know, that would take such a, tre- I, I, a tremendous mindset change of everybody. It's not something that you can just snap your fingers and all of a sudden, you know. Right. It, it absolutely, absolutely would. Um, I Bottom line, I think we all agree with this. You know, let's just throw, you know, labels and words out the window for a moment. We live in a very rich country, one of the richest countries. There's just no reason why we should have a homeless population. There's no reason why we should have food deserts. It just is. Uh, it's completely ridiculous. And there's no reason that so few of the people in this country own so much of the wealth. It just doesn't, it really doesn't make sense. The system is broken. Um, or I, I kind of feel like it's working exactly how it was intended to work. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm, that's why I'm very much here for the complete, at, like, just starting over. Um, I'll leave because since I know we're getting towards the end, but I just want to um, leave with or end with um, this quote from someone, I think she's on Twitter. Um, she says, People who are skeptical of abolition um, tend to demand those of us who are working towards to show them a step by step plan on how we intend. Um, to get what abolition promises, yet they can't explain how, century, how a centuries-old um, system with the most money and resources fails to be the better solution. So that's where that's where I'm coming from, and also from I will also put out there there is, as I kind of alluded to, I think a lot of fear and a lot of sadness and maybe a feeling of hopelessness that a lot of younger people feel because this because this issue is so big now that it feels almost impossible um to remedy yeah no that's a good point i just i just think yes the mo- we agree the money is available i just want all i want people to do is pay their fair share i have no problem with the taxes i pay and i do pay taxes and, you know, because I feel like I have been fortunate, I have been blessed, and everybody should be able to have certain things in life. They should be able to have clean water. They should be able to have health care. They should be able to make a, a livable wage. So and if, if, people if, people, if people who are the 10% of the people who have all the wealth, if they would just pay their taxes. They don't even need to pay more. They Mom, just need to pay not, their taxes. It would cover. And it's not. It's not about them paying their taxes. So that's the money that they earned by their hard work, by other people working for them. It's really supposed to. It's just a matter of you know the poor working harder. 
then and then then they'll success will come just kind of out of thin air without you know concerning any form of, of privilege or um certain circumstances or experiences that um most of the one percent have and the poor do not um yeah, but, but you know, yeah, people, people just need, people just need, need to, to work, work harder. I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm being sardonic. It's not clear. No, I, I know you are, but, but, but my, my, my thing is, our society is, is not, is not perfect. But if people would, if everyone would pay their taxes, it would, it, it would be so much better. In other countries, other countries have societies where where they do and 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 it's not like if you make a billion dollars and instead of paying zero you pay what you're supposed to pay you're going to like become dropped into poverty um and so you know i think that there's some i I don't know i think there's something to be said and i'm not saying our government's perfect because it's not but you know there there is an opportunity here if if people would uh be open to and i think there's there's some probably concern oh if we make them pay their taxes they'll put their money other places or all kinds of things there's not places <laughs> that they can put there's those places are getting fewer and farther between because at the end of the day the realization that that ultimately there has to be a collective where the money comes together and is, is utilized for the greater good is it, kind, it's kind of becoming evident um mm-hmm. And if you look at um, environmental issues and things like that, um, it, it's all going to come home. Uh, what is it? The chickens coming home to roost. We're starting to see the beginnings of it. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we're either we're going to make changes or the earth is going to make changes for us. Um, so at the end of the day, problems can be put ahead of um, protecting the environment. But I have a feeling that the earth's going to win that battle. Uh, Earth beat the dinosaurs. I, I don't know that we're going to win that. So we'll see. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. we're all in this together. And I, I think that's the one thing that a lot of the, the um, folks miss is that there's only one Earth. You could try to fly to another planet, but you're probably 100 years figuring out how to make that viable. So mm-hmm. you're stuck here with everyone else. Um, we may get that that uh location that's unreachable who knows but are you gonna have i mean are you gonna be is it worth is is the question ultimately everyone in this group right here which is awesome um we're good people (laughs) and also this idea of oh you should work harder i just want to put out there like we should all be billionaires in that case like uh, who who works who works a harder jeff bezos or literally like any nurse (laughs) you know so but like I I just I I I don't get and I know none of us get really why there's this pushback I guess people think if but like you said mom well if you know, we, we steal, quote unquote, from, from them, then 
it's, it's going to put them in poverty or there's not enough money or something. I, I really, I don't get why the people don't understand what Uncle Larry just said. Um, and a lot of people really, I will never forget, I was in, uh, when I was an undergrad, there was someone who worked, and I worked, used to work in the art office, he was like our teacher, and uh, it was funny, Christian and I were talking about it earlier, and Christian was like, yeah, I don't think he was a good person. I said, yeah, I don't think so either. But he literally said, eh, well, it's not my future. Why should I care? Mm. And a lot of people, a lot of people feel that way. Um, which, again, like, of course, not a lot of us do. We all understand why things need to change, but not everybody does even though it feels like it should be very obvious. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's, that is the sad part because if you don't have children, you have a niece or nephew, or you know, someone who has children or grandchildren. Um, and you know, I, I, perhaps as, 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 um, you know, Larry said, it may take the environment for people to come together and to, you know, do what needs to be done. And there's still going to be those people, like I said, who are controlled by fossil fuels who think that, you know, that's the way to go. And we still have to work on infrastructure, though, because even though we could maybe turn over to, you know, sustainable types of energy, we don't have enough charging stations in this United States. We don't have the infrastructure for it yet. So that has to be built up, which to me is an opportunity there, as I mentioned before, where we could put people to work. So those people who work in the coal mines or in the oil fields have an opportunity to work in other areas. So I think if only we could just look at this as an opportunity. Um, and then, you know, and as I said, you know, it's going to take a it's individual yet collective, I think, to make change. So people have to think differently. But I know, um, you know, Shelby and I, we were thinking, you know, wow, we could go on talking about this. Maybe we need a part two. Maybe we need to just set, have people take all this in and think about it a little bit more. I think what we've discussed, I'm hoping will make people think. I'm never trying to make you think the way I do or 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 anything like that because everybody has different positions but i hope that some of the things that we we've said will make people you know think a little bit about you know capitalism and the different socialism the different types of societies and what what is what do we want our society in the us to look like and and be and and you know can we be a people who are uh caring of course i'm going to always you know you know, my foundation is my faith. So I know how Christ cared for everybody. You know, whether you're rich or poor, he loved everybody. And he said we should give, you know, out of our gratitude, right? We, and we should be stewards over this earth. So we need to take care of this earth. So, you know, there are those foundations that I think are just quite obvious. Um, but I do want to give a chance, um, you know, to, to have some final thoughts about this. So, so dad, you've been pretty quiet. I want to get you back in there as we're wrapping oh, this up. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, when I think about successes in capitalism, I think about Henry Ford. 
here was a guy that came up with the novel idea is I'll pay my workers enough money so that they can afford to buy my product. I mean, mm-hmm. he effectively created the majority of the middle class because the other auto companies had to follow suit. Uh, a friend of mine once told me that uh, Rockefeller died at his desk working and he was a billionaire. And I said, mm-hmm. well, I guess that means I'll never be a billionaire because somewhere between 100 million and 200 million, I would holler uncle. <laughs> My epitaph would be, he died on the beach in Pango Pango with the neighbors fan <laughs> with a cocktail with an umbrella in it in my left hand and a good book in my right hand. Uh, the thing that makes me optimistic about the future is Shelby's generation. I like those people. I like them <laughs> a lot. Everywhere you drive around across the country, there's signs everywhere. Help needed. Help needed. And you know why? That generation's not working for seven twenty-five an hour. Those fools in Congress don't have to raise it up, raise the minimum wage. Shelby's generation is raising the minimum wage. You know, and uh, you know that's the thing that makes me optimistic about the future. Nothing ever gets done in this country by anybody but the young people. And you know, looking at looking at uh, Shelby's generation. Uh, I'm very optimistic, very optimistic about the future. That's a good point, Dad. Uh, Taisha, any last words? That was a really good point um, about that and the, the young people not accepting 725. And that drives it home, really. Mm-hmm. But if anything that COVID and the lockdown has taught us is that um, we can reset things because when we did, when everyone was home in, in lockdown, we saw the earth beginning to do a reset. Um, we saw so many things happen during that time. We also saw that um, people began to work from home more. And when corporations said that couldn't happen, and now it's like it can happen. So there, we we actually took a reset then, but then we got back to, you know, to business as usual. But we know that it can happen. So hopefully, moving forward, and I'm going to go ahead exactly what Uncle Larry said is like it's this this younger generation. It's one that I've never seen before, and you know they have one up us all around. And I look forward to seeing what they can do and how they're going to reset things for us because they're the ones who's going to be the heads in these corporations moving forward. They're the ones who are going to be the policy makers and the decision makers and the movers and shakers. So it's really, it's, it's going to be them who take us forward. So hopefully um, we can do a really hard reset, you know, with them Spearing, you know, being the being at the forefront of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Larry, any last words? Get out. What I'll say is, get out and vote. Um, for this system to work, we all have to participate. Um, hold your representatives accountable, um, and don't just think about your household. Think about 
all households because we all think are still together when you're voting. Because the type of people you put in office are the type of people that implement the things that impact your life. So uh, if I can say one thing, just participate. Because uh, at the end of the day, the, the political hacks don't want us to participate in this. The, the companies don't want us to participate in this. And if everyone just simply exercises their right to vote, I think there'd be a lot of changes here because it doesn't matter how much money you have, it's more people who don't want to you. And, and I think that people can definitely, uh, I, I think that'll be a, a bigger impact on the system. I have a feeling that young people are going to come out and vote as well, but I do think they'll have a big impact as well. So we'll see. Yeah. And uh, Shelby? Um, so a couple a couple things, because, you know, I was like, I had all of these notes and things, and, you know, whenever, I, it's like I write all this down, and I feel like I didn't get to a lot of it. So, I, I mean, I think this is such a multifaceted conversation, and um, it's so, it goes so much deeper um, than we do, and we just kind of skim the surface of um, this issue, but you brought up, mom, how, you know, you're very focused on your faith. And I, um, mentioned to you a while ago, I don't know if you remember one of the books that, um, I would like to recommend, um, it's called The Policies of Jesus, Rediscovering the Truth, the True Revolutionary Nature of the Teaching of Jesus and How They Have Been Corrupted. Um, that's a book by Aubrey M. Hendricks, Jr., and one of the things that he says in that book, and I quote, the primary purpose of biblical prophecy is to affect social and political change in society. Prophets never uncritically support the status quo, rather their roles challenge it. And a time when many seem to think that Christianity goes hand in hand with right-wing visions of the world, it's important to remember that there has never been um, a conservative prophet Hmm. Um, prophets have always been called to change um, institutions of power and privilege and wealth um, so that all can access can have access to the fullest fruits of life um, and, and in fact it was the conservative forces those who wanted to keep things as they were that at every instance were the most bitter opponents of the prophets and their missions for justice so I thought that was that, that felt, felt very, you know, important, important just to, to reference, um, since you brought that up, mom, and we didn't really get to even talk about like religion and different things like that. Um, but, um, I will leave with just, I think this was a, a, a excellent conversation and, um, I'll send you a list of stories. I'm aware you need to find your, your, uh, articles so we can link them. Um, I'll see if I can locate them. Yeah. Um, but so, I mentioned the books I was reading, The Politics of Jesus, this was one of them, um, and then How Capitalism Underdeveloped Black America, Sweetness and Power by Sidney Mintz, and that's about um, the sugar industry um, and slavery, and it goes in detail about that. And also, um, I'm reading another book, I pull it up. Um, how Europe underdeveloped Africa. Um, 
And then there's also on YouTube. And those are kind of like, I wouldn't, not all of them are like really heavy academic reading. Sweetness and Power, I will admit, is kind of like, I was like dozing a little bit. I can't read that before bed because it will put me to sleep. But very interesting information. Um, and there are um, a couple studies I'll, I'll send to you, Mom. And there are a couple YouTube channels that are excellent in a podcast that I have because I know you like your podcast, Uncle Larry. And um, the YouTube channel is called Thought Slime, and he talks a lot about um, exactly what we were talking about today. Um, like he has like 50 ways capitalism has hurt you personally, and he makes it a very he makes it very approachable and, pro- and breaks down um, these topics um, in a kind of lighthearted comedic way, um, while still, I think, being very um, informative. And then there's a podcast called Behind the Bastards, um, and they have an episode called Elite Panic, Why the Rich and Powerful Can't Be Trusted. Um, and they bring up things like the Monopoly, Monopoly study that was, was it Brown? It was, it was someone... Um, some university, they did a study where people, two different people played Monopoly. One person started with more money and got more money once they passed go. The other person started with less money and got less money once they passed go. And I mean, obviously, the person who started with more and continuously got more crushed, crushed this other person in this game of Monopoly. They talk about, they, they also break things down in, in a way um, that's approachable um, and also talk about how chemically money uh, can change a person, which is very interesting in, in itself. So, yeah, lots of lots of uh, good good things that you can dig your teeth into, and maybe if everybody's interested, we can come back um, and, and in the future and continue this conversation because I do think it, like a lot of us have alluded to, mainly I will I will give. You, Uncle uh, Larry, and Taisha, your your credit. I think it is. It definitely is a a very multi layered situation. Um, we need to do a lot of critical thinking about how we can make the progress that so desperately needs to be made. Yeah, no, that's so true. And I just to uh, just wrap it all up. I've heard a lot of you know, hope for the future with our generation, a lot of um, individual and collective responsibility to make change. Also, you know, I really appreciate what Taisha brought up about the reset that COVID did. And we can't forget that because even when it comes to environmental things, the environment got better during COVID because there were less people driving around and more people working at home. Um, you know, they even talked about the pollution over a, a gigantic country like China had went down substantially. So it's it's really a multifaceted type of thing, this whole thing around capitalism. And I think um, heard a lot of good uh, points and references that we definitely will try to, to put in the uh, chat. And as Shelby said, you know, we may have to revisit this maybe in the next series of 12, just to come together and talk about some other areas. I knew we couldn't possibly talk about everything in an hour and a half, 15 minutes to an hour and a half. But I really hope that this does what I hope my podcast will always do, which is be engaging the people, um, 
you know, informative and inspiring and help people to go look for things for themselves. You have to understand this for yourself and see where you lie. But I think, you know, we all have to live on this surf together. So we have to work together, I think, for the good of all people, so that all people can be productive members of society. And um, certainly, I love Dad's uh, quote about Henry Ford of, you know, if, if all corporations thought about, you know, I want to make sure that the people who work for me will be able to buy my products, uh, then, you know, we might, we might have a, have a better, a better society, but, you know, we all have to, to work together on that. And, uh, you know, Shelby, you want to say one last thing? Yeah. Yeah. Papa, do you have any book recommendations? Cause I know, I know you, you read a lot. You read anything good lately or, um, any, any, any books, books that, that, that you think are just, just good reads, um, not, not directly involving capitalism, but just, I think, culture in, in our life. I know you are a fan of Dick Gregory, um, all of his books, which I also recommend. Um, uh, I... Uh, I I have the book here for you. I'll give it to you when you come. Oh, sick. With the Witherspoon, she wrote a uh, a book on the caste system in in India and how it applies to the uh, racial situation in the United States. It was really fascinating reading and informative. You haven't read it? No. No. Good. I got it here for you. I'll give it to you when you come by. Awesome. See, I, I, I get a, a I get a present out of this too. How oh, long reading? reading. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, on that note, I want to just thank my family. I just love my family, and I would say for my podcast that you know my family has been so supportive of my, my little hobby, I call it. So I I appreciate you all taking time to do this. And, you know, it wasn't an easy topic. It was a sort of a deep topic and everyone came prepared with good points. So I really appreciate that. And, um, we'll be, you know, of course I'll be calling y'all back. I can't, I can't not resist calling you back another time. And, you know, Shelby, hopefully, we never know when she's going to be in a podcast or not, but um, her, with her busy yeah, schedule. Mystery. 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 But, but I, I, Mom, and you know what? I, I brought, brought this up before, before but I, I think, think what, this is really a, a cool thing that you got going here because, like, like this, this is going to be, be we'll, we will have this kind of archive of not just, you know, us as a family in this point in time, but where we were as a country in this point in time. So it would be really interesting, you know, to look back on this in a year, two years, um, and see if things have changed, how things have changed, and um, which hopefully they will have. Um, but yeah, I just love, I always love when we have family on the podcast because it's just, it is kind of like we are making this, this this log of of our our voices and and, and, um, kind of family history that, like I said, like generations 
we're going to be, be able, able to enjoy and twist the back one. one. So, so that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yes, it is. All right. Well, thank you all. And until next time, uh, we'll we'll be back, of course, on the next topic. And as I, as Shelby said, and we discussed, we might we might bring this back again, if not in this series, but the next series to to talk again. So thank you, everyone. So, take care. If you want to learn more about Garage Conversations with Shar including information on upcoming and previous podcasts, do visit the website, garageconversationwithshar.com. Peace and blessings.